Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the 294th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Tiffany Yates Martin, author of the book Intuitive Editing, A Creative and Practical Guide to Revising Your Writing. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Tiffany Yates Martin author of Intuitive Editing, A Creative and Practical Guide for Revising Your Writing. Martin is a career developmental editor with more than 25 years working in the publishing industry with major publishers and books that she has edited have reached the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestseller list. Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jeff. I'm glad to be here. Great. Well, your book title and subtitle are pretty self-explanatory, Intuitive Editing, A Creative and Practical Guide for Revising Your Writing. But I did wonder, who do you think is the ideal reader for your book? Oh, that's a good question. First, um, thanks for the compliment, because I can't tell you how much I struggled with the title, and I shop-tested it, and I asked a bunch of authors. I had originally... um, from the time I was writing it, I intended to call it the best version of your vision, which is something I say a lot in my editing work, which is kind of the point of an edit is to find the best version of the author's vision. And I thought, oh, that's the best title. And I shop tested it with all these people. And everybody said, no, it sounds like a book for ophthalmologists. Um, <laughs> it doesn't tell us anything. So then I, I spent, I can't tell you how long trying to find something that that basically said what the book was about so that you couldn't have said something better. Who's the ideal audience? I say in the introduction that this is, you know, it's written primarily toward fiction writers for starters, but it does also, a lot of the storytelling concepts will always apply to nonfiction as I'm sure you know yourself because storytelling is storytelling. And as a, especially narrative nonfiction, you're telling a story. So character is the people who actually experienced the thing you're writing about and plot is what really happened and stakes are essential to show no matter whether it's true or in your imagination. But I also was really mindful of trying to write this specifically to be helpful for not only more beginning authors who are just maybe learning the craft, but also, you know, I work with a lot of writers who've been at this a long time and I wanted to be able to create a resource that was helpful to them too. So it's not so much geared toward here's a technique to use for people who don't have a technique. It's really, let's find what your technique is. Here's a way to help you find what works best for you, your writing, your story. Great. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your background and career as an editor Mm -hmm. and working in book publishing? Yes. I kind of came in a, a, I always joke, I beat down the back door. Um, I was an actor in New York in the early 90s. And like pretty much every actor in New York, I was waiting tables and didn't want to do that forever. And also wanted a little more flexibility for when I did out of town shows. So I majored in English 
And I guess I subconsciously knew where my interests lay before I actually knew. And so I found an in the newspaper, in the New York Times classified section, there was an ad that said, get paid for reading books, send us $25. And so this is $25 that at the time was a fortune for me. I was living in a women's residence. I was literally eating uh, brown rice from Chinese restaurants with the free soy sauce on it that, I, that they give you because that's all I could afford. But I thought, ah, all right, I'm going to try it. And sure enough, it's filled with all this great information on how to contact the managing editors, how to teach yourself copy editing and the proper copy editing marks, which is how I started, um, how to, what the tests might have on them, what the industry standard books are. So I spent days in the library looking up, because this was before the internet, kids, looking up, um, all these managing editors at the major publishing houses. And I started submitting my resume to them and took the tests. And then I started working as a copy editor. And this is a really publishing as a small business. So before long, if you're doing a good job, they talk about you to other publishing friends. And little by little, I started working for most of the big five publishers and some really big authors. And by the time I stopped doing that, I had copy edited, um, oh, name drop, Pat Conroy, um, uh, Jennifer Weiner, you mentioned, I know you interviewed Walter Mosley. I got to copy edit a couple of his books. And then um, I moved away, quit acting after a few years when I realized I really loved editing more than anything. And I moved to Florida and also did journalism and then decided I wanted to try developmental editing about maybe 12 years ago. And again, came in the back door. I you know, I had at that point, I had done hundreds of manuscripts as a copy editor, and they're really different skills. So for re, for your uh, listeners who may not readily know the difference, copy editing is more focused on like grammar, punctuation, spelling, continuity, fact checking. It's a little more technical. Developmental editing works on every aspect of the story with directly with the author, all the way from, you know, the story itself and character plot, stakes, uh, the structure, every element of micro editing. So it's really hands-on, really creative. So the one doesn't necessarily prepare you for the other. But at this point, I had literally worked on hundreds of these top-notch manuscripts, and I'm seeing what the editing process is, and I'm seeing how these books take shape. And so I thought, well, if I could just have a chance. So I, at that point, I was living in Austin, and I happened to have copy-edited Sarah Bird, who's a wonderful author who was with Knopf at the time. And now she's with St. Martin's Press. And she was a friend. She'd become a friend. And so she had a new book. And I said, hey, let me developmental edit it. I'll do it for free. And, you know, with nothing to lose, she says, okay, sure, why not? And um, luckily, it went really well. And we we found sort of a structure thing in there that really helped her tell the story she wanted to tell in, in the way she wanted to tell it. And she was really pleased and and just like publishing is a small business, authors are a small community. And she told people and they told people. And before I knew it, I was working like crazy. And uh, now I also work with major publishers as well as directly with authors. Wasn't that the longest answer to a simple question? <laughs> no, but it was it was good. It, uh, it was what was needed. So, so what are your earliest memories of reading in books? Mm, uh, that's a good question. I have two of them. I have always read. I used, I have a picture that my, I used to try to hide that my mom has of me probably 
nine years old, too old for this, buck naked, sitting at my desk reading because I had a curfew. I had to be in bed by a certain time. And I, in order to read up until the very last moment, I would sit at the desk and take my clothes off as I was reading until I was all ready so that when it was bedtime, I could just (laughs) lurch toward bed. And writing, um, recently I I had a English teacher who was profoundly influential for me in a lot of ways. And she recently sent me a packet of papers of mine that she had kept. And in them was a autobiography I had written. God, this was in, I don't even want to know how young. Um, and it was called my autobiography, my autobiography of me. I wrote it myself. <laughs> and it was full of fascinating tidbits. Like, you know, I like eggs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was bound and it was illustrated and I did like back cover copy. So so you were faded. I, I joke, word nerds are not made, we're born. <laughs> so so I know that um I know that in um screenwriting and in the film world there are several books. I don't have I don't have the title at hand, but I, I know if anyone's familiar with screenwriting, they're familiar with what I'm about to mention. That, that have what I would consider a very rigid kind of structure about story, mm. um, a three-act structure. Is that something that you um, think about uh, in terms of fiction, or do you view fiction differently? Uh, I think, may I say the name, or are you trying to deliver oh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I, th- I think you're talking about Save the Cat. And there's also, there's a bunch of stuff like that. Like Michael Haig is a favorite writer of mine, and he has one called Writing Screenplays That Sell that I think is brilliant. He talks about sure. the six-stage plot structure, but it's basically built on that same framework, as is most conversation about story, because there's a reason we write this way. You know, the human brain is hardwired for story, and we have certain expectations. But the whole reason I wanted to write this book the way I wrote it, and the reason it's intuitive editing, is because... I, I do have, I, I get a lot of authors who will, especially newer authors, who contact me and say, I, I faithfully did the Save the Cat or the Hero's Journey or whatever um, system they're subscribing to. And while they're all really valid, I think the minute an author tries to shoehorn her story into a prescribed structure like that, we lose the thing that makes it unique. We we lose the voice, we lose the fire. It it might be technically perfect. It might hit all the beats, but it doesn't have that thing that's going to get it off the slush pile. And I think a lot of becoming um an author and really finding your feet and who you are as an author is figuring that out. Figuring out how to tell the story in the way that is most effective, that does meet reader expectations, but that also um Bring something to it that makes us, you know, there's, we all pick up those stories that change us or that change the industry. Look at uh, J.K. Rowling changed the industry. Uh, Gillian Flynn changed the industry. To a degree, Dan Brown changed the industry. If you're doing something that is maybe not following the rules, and I, I always make air quotes when I say that, and in the book, I actually put actual quotes around every time I use the word rules. I don't think that creativity is best bound by rules. So while you can keep those things in mind, and I do incorporate the theories in what I talk about with intuitive editing, a lot of it is finding what works best for you. And how to do that is what my book is is focused on. 
great. And how do you recommend for writers to shift from writer brain to editor brain? <laughs> and how can a writer train their editor brain? That is something I have been putting a lot of thought into lately because I'm creating some on an online course about that and I've been doing webinars about it. One of the things that almost every uh, creative art or uh, skill does is study the masters. You know, artists do it, musicians will do it, even athletes will sit and watch, you know, play by plays of great games and great plays. And readers are always told readers read but we're not always told how to read. And so I, in the book, I have a chapter on how to learn to read analytically. I do a presentation on that. Like I said, I'm creating some online courses on that. But the biggest shift and one of the biggest skills in editing, you can, you can learn to edit your own work to a degree, but to a pretty large degree, if you can master that skill, switching from, as you put it, and as I call it in the book, uh, writer brain to editor brain. And the trick is finding a way to get objective. The reason an editor brings something valuable to your work is because we're not automatically filling in all the blanks that you are as the writer because you know the story so well. You know it inside and out. So as you're reading it, you're not necessarily seeing what's on the page. You're seeing what what you intended to put on the page and what lives so vividly in your head. And the editor helps you, ideally, helps you um, meet that connect those two lines. So is this thing that you're, that you think you're saying, is it actually on the page? So there's a few things. I, uh, one of the first chapters in the book, I talk about just some tricks for getting objectivity. Most of them are things you've probably heard before. Take the best one is time. If you can finish a story and walk away from it for even a week, even a few days, you'll be amazed how fresh you come back to it. Um, but I also talk about doing it someplace different. If you always write at one desk, go edit at another one, read it at another one, or go to a coffee shop, you know, not in the days of COVID. Um, do it in a different font. Uh, use a pen name, like put a fake name on the front, not a real author, but just a made up name. It's the strangest, silly little brain trick, but little things like that sort of trick us into thinking we're not reading our own work. And it does give you fresher eyes or have it read to you. Or there's a lot of uh, text to what is it called? Speech to text programs right. where they will, where you can just have your book read aloud to you because hearing it gives you a different perspective than reading it. Um, you can print it. If you're used to working on the computer, you can read it on your e-reader. That's a really good one because when you're seeing it on your computer, it's formatted usually in manuscript format. When you put it on your e-reader, suddenly it looks like a book and it gives you that kind of like, oh, this is, this is something different. But then once you do that, it's uh, once you get the objectivity, what do you do with that? And so I talk about, I adapt a method that um, one of my editing heroes, Saul Stein, talks about. Do you know who he is? Have you read him? Yes, I have. Oh, my gosh. I love him and Max Perkins are like, <laughs> that's editor rock stars. Um, he has two books that I absolutely love, and his technique is called triage. I, I don't exactly subscribe to the way he does it. But what he recommends that I do adapt and think is brilliant is most of the time, the way that writers edit is they finish the book and then they go back manuscript, not a book till it's published. And they read from the beginning and then they start polishing. And so what happens is, first of all, you get a really well-polished beginning <laughs> um, that may not 
that may not hold up quite as tightly for the rest of the manuscript, but also you lose your objectivity every time you go back and do that. So his triage method is basically just what it sounds like is start with the bleeders, you know? So uh, the way I've structured the book is element by element. So we start with like the major macro editing, storytelling elements of character and plot and stakes, and then the micro editing, which is things like suspense and tension or uh, showing and telling point of view, the structure, backstory, stuff like that. And you go in and find your biggest holes and you just plug them. And it sounds incredibly counterintuitive. But by doing that, you're fixing the major issues that are keeping it from being as effective as it can. So when you do go back and every time you reread it, which I do recommend doing the way uh, I as an editor or anyone reads. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply it would do, which is like a reader. Instead of sitting there analyzing and fixing as you go, every time you go through to see where what you have, just read it like a reader. And by doing the triage method, it allows you to keep the freshness so that you're able to bring as much objectivity to it as possible. Great. So what is your approach to characterization with the writers that you work with and in your book? And, and what do you view as the importance of characterization? I think it's the foundation of story. I work with another editor and a publisher, and he and I always joke that we are the character editors because what I always say is readers don't care what's happening until we care who it's happening to. And that means something different in various genres. In a James Bond book, it means, um, you know, does he have cool toys and is he, is he, creative and clever and, and can he outfox the bad guys and, and what's he going to do to get out of this? And is he successful with the women? It's not maybe as deep as a book like uh, right now I'm reading The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And so that's got really deep character development. The trick is to be able to create someone that not necessarily the reader can like. We don't have to like our protagonist, but we do have to invest in them. And that usually means relatability in some way. Um, I have an article, if listeners are interested, I write I collate, I write for a lot of different outlets, and then I collate them on medium.com under my name. And I, I have one where I talk about this specific issue, which is how to find traits that will allow your characters to speak to readers, even if they're not likable, what kinds of things we invest in. And it's things like um, maybe they have good intentions. Maybe they're really good at something. Maybe they're funny. There's a lot of different ways you can get them to do it. And then to consider, um, there's several different things in character that I think sometimes get 
underdeveloped or not considered in writing. And one of them is who is your character in the world? We're taught as writers to focus so much on story and what's essential and what moves the story forward. And is this part of the character arc? And that is all true and valid. And also within that, who is the character beyond the parameters of this thing we're reading about. That doesn't mean we go off on detours about that, but it does mean if this is, let's say, a, a, a workplace comedy, it means we need to know who this character is outside of work as well as at work because that's the whole person. If you look at, I mean, something like the movie Hitch, you know, which is about a central premise of a man who is basically a male matchmaker, but there's mo- the the story of the movie is about much more than that. It's also about who he is as a person. I have lists. So the book is structured around questions because that's my approach as an editor. I think that by encouraging an author to ask the right questions, you help them find the answers to put them on the page. And so I have lists and lists of questions in there for character particularly, but all of the different elements on how to circle in on these things and how to find the answers. And chances are you know them as an author because you you know your story, but how to make sure that you're translating that onto the page, which is the skill of editing. So what is your approach and advice to writers about plot? A lot of commercial fiction and even literary fiction these days has to have narrative drive. And how can mm-hmm. a writer develop plot and narrative drive? Or do you view do you view those two as separate? One is a function of the other. Um, I always say that plot is action is not plot and plot is not story, but they're all very intrinsically related. So story is a character starts with a character who starts at a certain point, point A, travels to a different point, point B, because if he doesn't take a journey, then why have we read the book? You know, if this character doesn't change in some way. And that happens as a direct result of the arc in between those two points. So that's story. Plot is the arc in between those two points, but that's not the full uh, definition of story because plot's not just stuff happening. Action, if you have like um, a series of things that the character is going through, unless it directly relates to, as you put it, narrative drive, the character arc on in their pursuit to their point B, then it's just things happening. It's uh, That lends sort of an episodic feel to a story. This happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. But we don't really feel like we're on a journey. So plot is the idea of making sure that every single event in the story pushes your character along that arc from their point A to their point B. So that could be maybe that it, they grow from it, they learn from it, that it's an obstacle to their point B, that it sends them on a necessary next step toward their point B. But every single thing relates to that journey. And that's what creates a cohesive plot that has narrative drive. Great. And so what do you advise writers about suspense versus tension in their (laughs) novels and stories? Suspense and tension are often used interchangeably, but they're not quite the same thing. I always say that suspense is a function of story and tension is a function of scene, or the easy way to think of it is that suspense is basically what happens next and tension is what's in the way. Uh, So if you think of it that way, both are essential for every genre and should be on every page. And suspense isn't necessarily is the guy around the corner with an ax going to drive it into our character's skull. 
that is one type of suspense. But suspense is, um, gosh, I'm, I don't know why I'm citing all these old movies, but like <laughs> Leaving Las Vegas is the lead character in that Nicolas Cage's character going to succeed in, uh, is he going to kill himself from drinking or is the fact that he falls in love with this woman going to help him uh, rehabilitate himself? Suspense is simply the unknown. It's the thing that keeps us reading. And so you've got your big arching sort of er suspense, uber suspense in the story, which is the main story question. But within each scene, there should also be a suspense element of what's going to happen next. Otherwise, why are we turning the pages? And then the tension is the thing that stands in the way of whether that goal will be achieved or not achieved, whichever one is going to affect the character. Um, so that can be, and that doesn't have to be, again, that doesn't have to be a, a fight or a argument. Tension can be something like there's a storm brewing and I've got to fly out to see my mother before she passes away. Or it can be, um, you know, tension can be as easy as a man walks into the house and his wife sings out, how was your day, honey? And he just glares at her and walks away. That's a moment of tension. And those belong, those are the things that bring your story to life, whether you're writing women's fiction or thriller or mystery. That's the thing that readers want to read for. Great. Well, in your work with writers, I know that every novel is different. But are there common errors that you come back to that you often see with fiction writers that you work with? Yes, there are. I'm trying to think what would be the most, the ones I see the most often. Um, sometimes we don't have that narrative drive you talk about. A lot of time, I work in a lot of women's fiction particularly, and so I see some really beautiful character development, but sometimes we lose that, you need that push. You know, you need that that reason to keep going and follow this character. No matter how interesting a character is, we need to see her wanting something desperately or not wanting something desperately, wanting to avoid something desperately for us to have a reason, something to invest in, something to root in. Um, I have a presentation I do called the 10 biggest mistakes authors make. And it's it's basic stuff like uh, people talk about showing versus telling, and it's not a it's it's not a cage fight. You know, we need both. Are you using the right one in the right place in the most effective way for your story? Are you in uh, Are you in point of view that puts the reader behind the eyes of your character so that we feel we're living this story with them, or is there a level of remove where you've kind of unconsciously adopted this narrative? I guess, narrative voice, this observer voice that keeps us at arm's length. Is the point of view consistent? Um, are the stakes high enough? That's a huge one. Characters have to want something desperately and there have to be meaningful consequences for whether they achieve it or don't achieve it. So if you have someone, oh, she might lose her job. Well, okay, but those stakes aren't very high objectively because theoretically she could get another job or maybe she didn't really like this job, or maybe she deserves to lose the job. We have to fully understand why this is urgent right now and why we're reading the story. That's like a small handful of a million little uh, potholes in the road that are sometimes hard to see on your own. Sure. 
Well, I noticed on your website that you're currently closed to new clients. If someone is listening and thinking about buying your book and they're working on their own novels, do you have specific recommendations on how they can self-study and improve their editing skills to uh, hopefully improve their novels and get them published? I do. Um, well, that's the whole reason I wrote the book. <laughs> so yes, I would say that my book and a bunch of other books, like read widely. There's no, um, the trick as an author is to find the technique that works for you. And that might be one technique, but the chances are pretty good. It's going to be pieces of a lot of different techniques. So find the thing that works best for you. So this book is a great place to start. I also, uh, when people sign up for my newsletter, I have a list of resources that they get that can help them find an editor if that's the route they want to go. But one great way to learn to see your own writing more objectively is to um, critique other people's writing. And so I do talk about that in the course that I'm creating, but it's also something that you can do if you're, especially if you're a writer who's hooked into the writing community or joining a writer's uh, group, you can find a critique group or beta readers. And the most valuable thing sometimes you can get out of that is not the critique of your own writing. It's learning how to critique other people's writing because you're bringing that objectivity that an editor would bring to someone else's writing because you're not filling in the blanks. And once you see Waldo, you can't unsee him. So once you learn how to do that, you bring that skill back to your own writing. Great. Well, are there clients that you've worked with recently that you'd like to tell us about? I I work with some really wonderful authors and I'm blessed and I don't, I try not to play favorites. So I don't, (laughs) I don't really want to do that, but I will tell you that um, I I just, I try to read as widely as I can. And right now, as I said, I'm reading Britt Bennett's The Vanishing Half and it's absolutely genius. And I'm tell I'm using it in this presentation because it's such a great example of structure and character. So my, I guess where I'm going with that is read widely. Like don't just read in your genre. Don't just read in your comfort zone. Don't just read the stories about things you already know or things you're writing about. Read as absolutely widely as you can, because every author that I work with, and I work in a variety of genres, I learn so much from them too. I learn so much from their stories and the way they write and the things that I see and and all the stuff that's in this book has come from years of what I've been able to glean from having seen hands on what authors are struggling with and how a story takes shape. So as an, as a writer, understand that that's part of the process and don't beat yourself up for that. Like there's no, you're never going to, uh, can I curse? Can I yes. curse just a little tiny bit? <laughs> There's the famous quote by Ernest Hemingway that first drafts are shit and they're not necessarily always shit, but they do take shape. And almost every author I work with would probably tell you that they really find the soul of the book in the editing process. And it's messy and it's hard and it takes a whole lot of mining out what you, you know, what you gleefully as Brenda Euland says, vomited onto the page in your first draft. Editing is a lot of times where the story really finds itself. So don't judge yourself if your story doesn't come out the way you wanted it to right away. That's what editing is for. And every, almost every author on the planet goes through that same process to put the book in your hands that you're reading. It didn't just spring up like that. That's great. Well, where can people find you online to learn more about you and your book? 
I am generally everywhere under some combination of either Tiffany Yates Martin or Fox Print Editorial. So you can go to my website at foxprinteditorial.com and you can find me on Twitter at foxprinted or you can find me on Facebook that way too, or also as Tiffany Yates Martin. And I'm on Instagram as Tiffany Yates Martin. And then, as I said, if you are interested in the all the writing that I do on various uh, storytelling elements for different outlets, I've put on medium.com under Tiffany Yates Martin. And uh, on my website, if you want resources for further reading, really great craft books, um, blogs, podcasts, all the stuff that helps you learn and grow your craft, that's on the resources page and the online courses page. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Tiffany Yates Martin, author of Intuitive Editing, A Creative and Practical Guide for Revising Your Writing. Go buy a copy of the book now. And Tiffany, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really enjoy your podcast. Great. Thank you. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen to audiobooks during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Reading and Writing Podcast Special Offer. Get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with code RWPODCAST. That's code RWPODCAST for two audiobooks for the price of one for your first month of membership at Libro.fm. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.